Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tom Hutch Podcast, where I interview individuals who have made a successful career within the music industry to find out how they got to where they are and any tips or advice that they have for musicians of any level and any stage of their own careers. This episode features a chat with Tim Goodyear on Twitter at Timbo Goodyear, spelt T-I-M-B-O-G-O-O-D-Y-E-R, and Instagram at Tim Goodyear Drums, who currently holds the chair for the new West End musical Hamilton, which is also arguably the biggest show in the world right now. Before this show, Tim has played on countless others, but has had the chair most recently on Disney's Aladdin, The Book of Mormon, Shrek the Musical, and the original London run of Avenue Q. Tim also works a lot outside the West End with orchestras, including the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, with Elvis Presley, If I Can Dream, UK and European Arena Tour recently, the BBC Concert Orchestra, and the Philharmonia. The list of artists he's worked with includes Marie Wilson, Pixie Lot, Andrea Bocelli, Tony Hadley, Rick Astley, Jason Donovan, Michael Ball, Mary Beth Chapman, and many others. In this episode, we talk about the importance of playing with other people, getting a break in the show world, working with orchestras as a drummer, brand involvement in a musician's career, and much more. Now, we sat down to record this chat in Tim's drum booth between shows whilst he was on Aladdin, so there will be the sound of a few people moving around, but this was a great discussion, and I hope you enjoy this chat with Tim Goodyear. Can you can you take take me back to like the very very beginning? Like how where where are you from? Like how was your education? At the uh, beginning? Musically, um, well, uh, let me think. Uh, well, I, I started my mum my mum signed me up actually for uh, for drum lessons when I was um, I think it was eleven. Oh really? And um, uh, yeah, I, it was kind of random really. She, I think I was hanging around the house and irritating her, and, and she sort of. <laughs> um, uh, she sort of signed me up for these lessons to get me out of the house, I think, and, and uh, I just was into it, really. I suppose I was just kind of right. um, so just as far, as far as yeah. I think someone had told her when I was a little kid that that I had like a good sense of rhythm or something, and she thought I know. So she signed me up for these. I think it was like the local music centre, um, and so I, I just went along for lessons. As soon as I sort of got a pair of sticks of my own, I was kind of kind of hooked on it, really. Right. And and. I don't know if it was exactly a, a completely, you know, uh, light switching on sort of moment of, of but I, I don't remember really not then wanting to play the drums. Right. So you know, from from that point onwards, you can't remember being drawn towards anything else. Basically, I, I played a bit of guitar maybe when I was right uh, about I don't know eight or nine or something like that when I was at primary school, and I couldn't really. It was a lot of a stretch for my hands, and yeah, I wasn't that into it, and and I don't think I have really the head for melody. In terms okay. of, I can hear it, and I can. I, I think I've got a reasonably good ear, but I don't. I don't have a very good head as far as, you know, say looking at music and reading melodies, stuff like that, and and, and remembering notes on keyboards and stuff like that. I'm a right. bit of a. I'm a bit of a uh, sort of traditional, you know, stupid drummer when it comes to, when it comes to that aspect. I think. And, and that's interesting so you say that then, because so do you see reading like drum music and reading actual music like obviously there's a distinction; they're completely different. Yeah. But 
I find to you, they're, they're like different worlds. It's just, the, it's just the, literally the, the, the melodic aspect of it. I can see it, like if I'm looking at, at, at this music here, and, you know, in the pit here, I, it's fine because I, it's mostly just rhythmic. As soon as there's anything that's, you know, say it's got toms, uh, it, you know, I would, I would play the shape of it rather than, I can mm. see the rhythm and I can see the shape of it, but to actually pick out the different drums yeah. on different lines, I would have to probably stop and have a little look at that. Yeah, I mean, would you say that, that do you ever come across stuff a lot of the time where you have to play specifically and reading that no. you have to work out? So I would Not imagine really. that the sh if you got the shape, that's yeah, the main thing. Yeah, it, it is really. That's that's yeah. That's why I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 quite often it's it's you know you'll you'll get things that are written quite busily, busily, like like say here where you've got you know three things happening at the same time. Uh, and it's sort of specifically written out, but I don't really play what's there. I just play the, like I said, I play the shape of it. Mm. Uh, and if someone then says, "Oh, I want you to play exactly that," then I can play exactly that. It's not a problem particularly. But if it was, if it was, a, say, four different toms and written over a, a four-bar phrase with lots, of, I might have to stop and just look at it for a minute. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't take long, but it, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have a, a head where naturally I sort of. I, I don't gravitate towards that. I, I tend to. I see. I can see rhythms better, and I like. I can see drum. I'm quite good at reading drum music. Right. Uh, but I find yeah, I find melodic stuff. I have a real, you know, probably because I've just never done it. But I've never. I always had a bit of a block with it. That's interesting. Yeah. So, you, but you do you do other percussion stuff? I mean, you've got loads of percussion stuff here, but it's all. Hand it's all. It's stuff. all. Yeah. It's all bangy or tingy stuff. Have it's you, not, none you've of it's never tuned. done any of the tune stuff no, for any of the shows. It's not always really. Been no. I, I. I don't try. No. I don't really play hand drums. I mean, I've got a, a whatever this is, Doombeck, um, and, and a few bits and pieces. I, you know, I. It's very much a drummer's <laughs> uh, um, uh, approach yeah. to it. I'm, I'm not really. I don't put myself up as a percussionist. No. Really, Do it's just this is really like a drum chair with a bit of percussion. Yeah. On this show, and, mm. and the last one I did was there's also there was a bit of uh, djembe and a few you know little triangle bits and what have you. Mm. Um, but it, it's not none of it's really you know it's a drum it's a drum chair. I wouldn't take a percussion chair. I wouldn't. Right. Have you I ever wouldn't been insult anyone. Uh, occasionally, I've been offered things with tuned. Yeah. You know, a bit of Glock and and, and even a bit of Glock is is. Mm. So you've never been Something tempted to, to say even just to no. have a little bit, yeah. No. Do you know any guys that do kind of do both camps? Um, or do you find that yes, people I mean, normally I, do one or the other? I do. I mean, well, in, in my, I don't know, I don't want to sort of, there are some people who are very good at both, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Dave Elliott springs to mind. Um, some of my depths also do both. Um, I think, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I've always been of the. I've been been a bit of a purist with the drums, insofar as um, I kind of think you, you know, if you play well, the way I've looked at it is, if I try to play percussion as well, I'm sort of diluting what I do with the drums. Right. The time I spend looking at percussion, I could be getting better at the drums. That's how I look. Well, maybe not now, but at the sure. time I was growing up, that's how I looked at it. But well, it's a different discipline, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Sure. It's also the other thing I also find is. And I think, which is probably the essential thing, is it's kind of similar in terms of you playing. You're playing this. You're, you're playing instruments, percussive instruments, in, in both camps, if you want. Mm. But it's a different headspace, I think. Right. I think a drummer's headspace and a, and a percussionist's headspace. You know, without wishing to sort of, you know, pr provoke any uh, any 
terrific drum jokes. I, I think I think it's a different mentality mm. playing the drums in a band to playing percussion in a band. Yeah. Really. No, I definitely agree. And I think there are some percussionists who are good, technically good, but don't necessarily have the headspace to play drums. Right. I'm not saying that's all all of them, but I, certainly there's a there's a that's how it appears to me a little bit. Sure. You know. Okay. So going back to childhood, like you were talking about when you were focusing on the drums. Yeah. When, when was the first, like, what were you involved in musically at a younger age? Um, well, originally I went to a music centre, right. like a local music centre, so I had the lessons there and I went, there was, there was a, you know, you start off in the beginner's orchestra or whatever, so I was kind of playing, I suppose, in bands from that age. Right. Um, you know, little kids' bands, and I was, I don't know, well, I was 11, so, and then there was sort of concert bands and there was a swing band and then there was... You know, and then I went from there to um, there was the, the Buckinghamshire uh, Youth Jazz Orchestra. You know, so it was like the sort right. of regional version of Nigel, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and yeah, so I mean, I did all that kind of stuff, and I also was in at the same time. I was sort of at home. I was like in rock bands, and right. I was in a rock band with the guys next door who were like seventeen, and I was thirteen, and we'd go and do these pub gigs, and I'd try and not get thrown out for being <laughs> far too young, and I was trying to. <laughs> you know look like I was uh, 17 or 18 or something and I yeah. don't think I was really in my head I was fooling everyone but I don't right. really somehow <laughs> I kind of oh, you know hi <laughs> I can't imagine I was I was kidding anyway mm. but, do you um, think that playing yeah. with the like older musicians even at that age was like a big like yeah. good thing to do yeah I, it was because they introduced me to a lot of music that I not really I'm, I wouldn't have necessarily considered and I hadn't a lot of it I hadn't heard of Right. So they kind of, I suppose they introduced me to a lot of things like, um, uh, specifically like The Who, I guess, and Hendrix. Um, uh, what else? I don't know. Particularly them, Eric Clapton a little bit. But but sort of bands that were, you know, older older guys were listening to, yeah. rather than people in my age who, who were, I don't know what they were listening to, The Wombles, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but... but so you kind of had a bit of both. You had like the the older yeah. stuff and then whatever was going on. Yeah, and 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 I think also my, I mean my dad was a, a big jazz fan. Well, both my parents were, were, were big jazz fans. My dad used to go abroad, you know, working in the states, and he'd bring records back from the states. You know, right. jazz all these jazz albums with drummers on because so I'd started playing the drums. So he yeah he came back with like uh, I remember there was a Max Roach album. It was Max Roach and an Artie uh, is it Artie Shep Archie Shep I don't know. He was a sax player. Mm. Sorry for my. Uh, jazz ignorance but anyway it was basically a, a load of it was just drums and saxophone this whole album right, of them wow. playing live and it was an extraordinary thing I, I can't imagine listening to it now but at the time I thought it was amazing and it was just just a sort of barrage really of of, of drums and, yeah. and and I remember being kind of really into that at the time and, and he'd bring back you know Buddy Rich and whatever and, and, and they also had a load of albums you know sort of you know Sid Lawrence and his Orchestra and, and just lo lo loads of different stuff. Quincy Jones albums he had, and so I would listen to all that stuff, yeah. and I would try and sort of play along with it on my my dodgy Maxwin snare drum that they bought me, <laughs> and I sort of graduated to a drum kit, I guess, and uh, after a year or two, uh, which I also think interesting. I, well, not interesting. I I kind of thought I was thinking earlier. It, it, it's it, it's it's interesting how now you know people take up the the drums and they start playing the drums. Mm. As a kit, pretty much instantly, you, you know, get kids start learning. They go, "Here's a drum kit." Yeah, full and they smash, away. yeah, and they smash away, without really knowing how to even hit the drum. And there's so many tempting, round, shiny things to, 
smash. Mm. That it's I don't know. I I I was quite pleased that looking back that, that I'd sort of started with a pair of sticks and a practice pad. Right. And it was all sort of seemed at the time it was like well you know if you do kind of well with this then you can earn a snare drum and so it's kind of pay your dues and work your way yeah, up. a little bit yeah and I mean that sounds very old-fashioned and like whatever but I think it was good for me because I and I was because I was so into it I didn't mind you know I was right. kind of up for that it, it was it was good and, and I you know I had this snare drum and a, and a little symbol attached to it and I'd have the headphones on and I'd, you know have the, the top 40 whatever it was radio show on the in the on a Sunday evening and I'd try and play along with it with nice. and and eventually they sort of thought, well, you know, we better get him some drums because it's, it's getting a bit annoying now. <laughs> so um, it got more, more annoying probably after that. But Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then so uh, I, I was kind of, I don't remember not playing along with records. I think I played along with records more than anything. Do you know that's practicing. something that people don't do as much of these days? No idea. I don't know. But that was a very integral part for you. It was for me. I, yeah, I used to, because I just used to copy stuff I, and I would rather than just go to a teacher and they'd teach me to play one tune mm. I'd be listening to a record and I'd be sort of playing along with it and then I'd maybe stop and listen to what they were doing and then I'd try and do that and it was probably wrong but it was still you know I could get from one end of the tune to the other rhythmically without mm. getting too lost I guess and yeah. I had these pioneer headphones that my dad had they were like really 70s but they were very insulating and, and they made all the drums sound really like um you know, really fat, and you know what I mean. Those, yeah, you get, yeah. and you get a really good set of headphones, and, and the drum suddenly sounds, you know, like a record through them. It's, it was, uh, yeah. So I just used to enjoy that really, and, mm. I, and and I don't. No, maybe people don't. I think, I think people's education starts now with the sort of the rock school thing more, maybe, and and they go through that. Yeah, it seems to be if they so get a teacher, it's very yeah, drawn down the structured. Same path. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I think the rock school thing is good, and it. Actually, uh, it, it gives some people something to work towards, mm. and it gives people, you know, because parents. Uh, I think, speaking as someone who's done a little bit of teaching, not very much, parents always want to see, you know, exams ticked and boxes, boxes ticked. ticked. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so it's good for that, and it's good for to, yeah. to structure your progress a little bit. But I think it makes it, it, it can get very boring because they're so driven to getting those things right. Mm. But then you're, but then you're, you're ignoring tunes. tons of music. Yeah. But then there's, having said that as well, there's loads of music now. I mean, there's so much music available that it's hard to know where to start now. Yeah. Whereas, it, whereas when I was growing up, um, you know, I had my, my dad's collection of records, you know, vinyl, mm. and whatever I bought or whatever was on the radio that I could record on, on my cassette player. But there was no, you know, there was no internet, there was no streaming, or there was no CDs, or I mean, there were eventually CDs. But you know what I mean? There was no, nothing was instantly available. So you had to sort of had to work for it. You know? Well, no, but you had to, you had to have stuff. Uh, you know, you had to make do with the stuff you had. So, uh, you know, so if you had a, a one album that was really good, you'd play it to death, really, rather than, mm. rather than, um, uh, you know, ha listening to one or two tracks flicking through from one to the other and. Yeah, and then and then uh, going on to another album, yeah. you, you sort of that's what you had. So you sort of sit and sit down and analyze it. Um, and I don't know. I, I did that a lot with with well, yeah. all sorts of stuff, really. I mean, it does sound like I you guess. had quite a, a natural kind of drive or ambition to to yeah. do that in the first place. Like, yeah, I think I think I did. Yeah. I mean, nobody told you to do that. You were, no. you, you just wanted to naturally. You know. Yeah. But like you're saying, yeah. it sounds like you, you 
pretty much sounds like you got your hands involved in anything you could, like you're doing the orchestral stuff and the jazz. Yeah, stuff that was sort the of the. Yeah, it just happened really. I, it wasn't particularly. I went out and found it. it. It just kind of happened really. There was. Yeah. There were some guys next door, you know, like I say, who who just heard me smashing about in the in the house. Right. Uh, and they just said, "Oh, do you want to come around and, you know." jam whatever yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so we had this little band you know was, i'm sure it was awful i i, I haven't uh, i haven't got any <laughs> any recordings of it but at the time i thought it was brilliant you know and 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 it was just a great it was great to just play with lots of different people and i think that's i don't know whether that's something that people do less of now it seems to be much more you know play along with the audio track with and there's an audio track with no drums and mm. and that's fine but i think playing with other people certainly is a, a sort of Quite an uh, invaluable yeah. thing, and there's less and less of that kind of thing around. Just because I think there's probably less funding for it. Mm, I don't know. I'm not really an expert, but it seems that way. Mm, I think uh, so. So, did you ever? So, what happened after your initial like kind of schooling education? Um, did you go into like higher education? No, I didn't. No, not really. I, I um. So straight into being a musician. Yeah, my A levels kind of went a bit pear shaped because of. Um, because of the drums, right? Um, and so I left school, and I didn't really want to go to college. You couldn't really go at the time. You couldn't really do drums at, at music college. Mm. Uh, you could do percussion, but you couldn't do drums. And was that classical? Yeah, and that was classical yeah. percussion. Yeah. Uh, with hindsight, I think I might have maybe got into college, but I didn't think I'd be accepted even because I didn't really play tune well enough. Okay. At the time, uh, at the time I had I had some lessons, tuned lessons, and I really wasn't interested, and I didn't do, you know, I wasn't very good at it. Right. So uh, basically I sort of decided that rather than go to college, I, I would leave school and just sort of pick up gigs and yeah. do what I could. Um, so I mean, in hindsight, I wish I'd been, but I, at the time it seemed, it seemed like time was running out and I needed to get on with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which wasn't, Probably the case. What but were the what were the main things you think you, you might have missed out on from not going to? Because um, I'm sure a lot of people I are probably in a similar position, thinking like either like maybe should I do college or should yeah. I? Like there's, there's two camps. I think I think a lot of people that went that, that that are of my generation probably didn't go to college. A lot of drummers. Mm. There's some who did, but there is there's quite a few who probably just didn't because of that, and 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 also because I mean the way I I, I sort of came up, I suppose, you know, I, through like my teenage years I suppose and, and sort of around I don't know from about oh, I can't really remember the age but I mean I remember my parents driving me and doing like you know amateur dramatics shows or stuff like that oh, yeah. you know and I'd do that for a week or I'd go and play at some college they're putting on a show it wasn't that I really wanted to do shows it was just that I could read and mm. you know I, I sort of I don't know how they I think it was through school or, or whatever um, but I sort of was, was picking up quite a few sort of local shows like that yeah um and it was just a bit of money really at the time i just did it because i because i could and it, it was there on a plate really yeah um and and then i, I sort of joined a pub band and and we did like eight gigs a week for right. 20 quid <laughs> and they were all awful you know um but you were busy and you were playing was, with other people yeah i was sort of busy and and sort of not you know and, and i did a lot of recording with a friend of mine we did some uh, lots of demos for people and, and stuff like that. So it was all very sort of quite low key stuff, mm. but it was just yeah, it was just we were playing, we were doing gigs, we were doing pub gigs, yeah. doing a bit of this amateur dramatics thing. Yeah, you know, uh, whatever I could get really. But it was hands on. That seems to be the main. Thing. Yeah, Rather and I was like I, yeah. playing along in 
yeah. to a track. It was. Yeah, I, I think most of it I could have probably done and still gone to college, to be honest. Right. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the thing I missed mainly, I think I missed probably, um, I mean, having not been, I don't really, <laughs> I'm not entirely <laughs> sure, but I mean, I certainly it took me a lot longer to, to, to meet a lot of people. So the social side of things. The social side of things and knowing people, I didn't really, that never really happened until I used to go along to Nigel. And I was never really in the band or anything, but I used to go along on Saturday morning and yeah. sit behind Ian Thomas or whoever it was yeah. that week, or Chris Dagley actually, um, eventually it was. Um, although by then I was sort of leaving, and Chris was amazing. Um, uh, but but I, I met a lot of people through that scene. It's very much a bottleneck, um, like every, it seems to be everyone yeah. that I talk to. Yeah. Come to London, Nigel. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, and I was—I mean, I'd just get on a train on a Saturday morning and go to wherever it was, King's Cross, um, and occasionally I'd sit in and be completely roasted. Mm. And and there were all these monstrous players in the band who were, you know, amazing and scared the crap out of me, really. And and but it was good. It was good in that in in the regard of it was good to know what the sort of the level was that was expected. Sure, yeah. I guess. And and but also, yeah, I just met a few people who were. Some of whom were in the band, and some of them were like there was a second, like a Nigel Two band, and I, I used to do that sometimes. We'd do gigs Sunday lunchtimes and stuff. Um, and it was just yeah, I, I met quite a lot of people through that, mm. and then I um, yeah got offered other work through people I'd met there, and then that kind of snowballed into other stuff. And right. I mean, a lot of the show stuff, I suppose, comes from indirectly from Nigel, or so even directly. Yeah. If the the few steps between like kind of starting like Nigel and mixing yeah. with everyone to where you are now, yeah, and having been in the West End for a number of years, yeah, like was there was there kind of stepping stones like points where you realised you've gone up a bit, or was it just like meeting people, um, doing something a bit better, keep it going, doing a good job? I, I don't know. I've never really thought of it as as being steps. I, I mean, I suppose I did. Well, I mean, originally I got, I, I got sort of um, the first sort of gigs I got out of doing out of going to Nigel really were, as far as I can remember, there was probably others, but I, was was like things like pantos and all that kind of thing. You know, right. I've got this panto gig and I can't do it, and you know, yeah. uh, do you want to do you want to do it? And, and and I was thinking, yeah, that's brilliant, you know. And it was some some guy from, you know, some soap star or whatever from. Mm. Home and away at Barking Town Hall or something like that. It was yeah. horrific. It was honestly it was absolutely terrible. At the time, I was quite pleased to be doing it. I was like, I don't know, nineteen or something, and I was like, yeah, brilliant. I've got you know four weeks, five weeks of money, and yeah, and it's a bit of a laugh, and you know, great. So I did that, and I think, and there was another, another one the following year, another one, you know, and though, I think through that, I'm just trying to think, yeah, kind of indirectly through that, I ended up doing. Um, a tour it was kind of a long and, and fairly boring story but I ended up doing a tour of um, uh, Joseph because right. it was on in London um, and it was the one where they had uh, it was like the Lloyd Webber one where they had I think it was Jason Donovan was in it I think and they took it on tour um, with Philip Schofield right. <laughs> in the days when he was in shows um, and, and the drama um, was a guy called Graham Ward and they booked him for it and he didn't want to do it and he was desperate to get out of it right and a friend of mine was working with Graham Ward um, and I said well look, I'd be really up for doing that if he doesn't want to do it 
but of course nobody knew me so I kind of got booked on like a uh, he sort of he, he talked them into booking me really because I think because he wanted to get out of it so badly yeah 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 uh, and no one else was free so I got I kind of got booked um, on, on like a trial basis and, and so it was like you know you can do the first venue which was I think six weeks mm. and see how you go and, and so I did that and I think I ended up doing about two and a half years wow so it went it. quite well but then. yeah well yeah. I, I guess it must have been alright but I, yeah. I mean and that was that was a really eye-opening experience for me because it was like a decent at the time anyway yeah it was a decent show it was like a quite a big mm, at the time it was a big show and it was a big tour um, and, and I saw a lot of the country and it was quite um, just quite a good life experience really I got, yeah, I, I got used to how theatre stuff works and all that because I wasn't really up on professional theatre things at the time. I'm not, I didn't really set out to do that, but you know. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, and, and just even just stuff like renting houses and all that kind of just stuff mm. that you, that's kind of helpful to know. It was good and, and just life. Uh, it was good for that. And then I suppose through that, the, the, the MD who was doing that show right at the end, because they went through a few, I think, and, and the last one. Um, was um, a guy called Simon Lee who who's um, who was had just been booked to do Jesus Christ Superstar in London, and and he sort of said to me, "Oh, I'm I'm doing this show, and uh, you know, I'm maybe you'd like to do it if if um, if I can sort it out." And mm. and I was like, "Well, you know, great if you can, brilliant." Um, it turned out that that um, Andrew Lloyd Webber had already booked. Uh, Ralph Salmons, not unreasonably, right. um, and 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 so he sort of, but he got me in. Simon, the the conductor, he, and he sort of got me in, which was very good of him, um, sort of as a dep and and to do some rehearsals with the cast and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, and so I I started depping for Ralph on on that show, and I did quite a lot of that, right. and that was a really uh, was a very quite heavyweight band at the time. It was a sort of it was all the sort of studio guys mm. that he'd booked for the band and, and they were I mean that scared the life out of me as well <laughs> that <laughs> was a terrifying experience, experience. Though, it, like it, it was great and, and but it was great for it was great for me as a sort of I suppose that was quite a good stepping stone because because having done that it, it sort of opened a lot of doors in, in London which I didn't particularly it wasn't like I thought well I've done this I'm going to go around knocking on people's doors but mm. it just the phone started ringing a bit more just naturally kind yeah of it just seemed to happen like yeah. that and I, and I I got a few more shows, I, and I, I basically ended up depping on a lot of shows. Right. You know, a lot for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But you for can years, still really. track it kind of all the way back but to that first time when probably you kind of got given it. Do you feel like that's that's the way it kind of it happens naturally? Is that someone's got to take a chance on you first? Of yes, all? I think that's exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think someone's got to take a chance on you, um, and and then you know they've got to usually they've got to be fairly desperate, or, <laughs> or, or you need somebody or you know somebody by chance that that can get you in. I right. Suppose. Sure. But it, but it, one way or the other, yeah, it's it's mm. it's a case of someone takes a chance on you, and then it's sort of almost if you've done a decent job on a show, then it's easy for somebody else on a different show to say, oh, you know, this guy's just done whatever. Mm. You can go like say in here, if I'm if I'm the the, the, the drummer in here in Aladdin, and and the MD says, oh, who are we going to get in to Depp? He's going to want uh, recommendations from somebody. He's going to want rather than just oh I've got this bloke and he looks like he might be alright he needs me to say something like well he's just done 
right. whatever other so show, and he made a really good job of that. Yeah, and so it's it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, hmm. but mostly it, it makes it much easier for say me to then go and get somebody else in. Sure. If they've already done something else. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. So so what I'm saying is, if you can get that one opportunity and and, and you know not cock it up, hmm. then it will open doors because people will be much more. Um, uh, you know, open to booking you. Yeah, and it's not because. It, yeah, and I've, I've definitely I've heard people say, you know, it's a closed shop and it's you know, people try and keep other people out. And no, I, really. I, yeah, I have I have heard that. I don't think it's true, and and I, I don't think it's ever been true. Really, maybe there are some people who do that, but generally speaking, what it it may seem like that to people sometimes because no one will take a chance on them. Mm. But it is a bit of that situation of a lot of you know a lot of say drummers who are looking for depths will need some kind of recommendation from someone else and there's yeah. also they, they also forget the fact that there's a huge list of other people who have oh, tried absolutely. and tested yeah. who are good at uh, you know who are yeah. good at depping and, 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 and also would like to do you know depth mm. on the show and there's a finite amount of shows in London exactly only so many chairs so yeah. there is a sort of I don't know maybe a pecking order of some kind but it just depends on the show and the MD and whoever yeah but it's more and more a case of you do need to, you know, as far as say depths, you need to run them past the MD, you need to run them past the fixer. And they may have their own ideas right. of who they want. So there's a lot so of it's not all down to me. Places to go through. <laughs> Just, oh, yeah, yeah, if you're listening. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> right. it's not all my fault that you're not doing it. But yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, I just think it, I think that's probably the way to get in. But I also think it's, it's not maybe a good idea to, to get too you know, to get too fixated with doing a show mm. early on. It's more about playing, really. These days it does seem to be that people are... Yeah, I think that's because there's less work. Yeah, and this is quite... You know, Payment-wise, it's regular, and, yeah. it's, and it's fairly good. So yeah, it is. I mean, it's and, and it, I mean it, it's great. That's kind of... I suppose that's why I've ended up doing it. I, you know, mm. I've got a family and a house and bills and yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever, and, and I do need something reasonably regular, and I, and mm. I don't have enough freelance work I mean I do freelance work but I don't have enough of it to yeah to to you know pay all my bills right you know to my satisfaction anyway I, I, <laughs> and, and it's good to have something like this sure um, so I mean yeah I mean I, I, I don't mind it I, yeah. talking about this because you've been doing it for, for a number of years now yeah and you've had yeah, several like loads of chairs and all this yeah. stuff um, yeah. I mean uh, when I talked to Ian Ian King about it he said that Usually, when a new band gets booked for a new show coming in, um, you know the, the MD gets asked, and then the first person they'll ask is the drummer. Do you find that that's the case a lot of the time? Uh, well, like you're it one of the, on first. the show. Yeah, I, usually they w they will fix the drums first, mm. or, or at least uh, somewhere. Yeah. I mean, they might have certain people they think, oh, I definitely want him to do this, and they'll just book them. Right. Uh, but f yeah, drums is usually quite. Why do why do you think that's such a key thing? I think because the MD is very reliant on the drummer. Uh, I, I think because the MD wants to have um, someone on the drums who's their friend, mm. who they're not going to feel is sitting there judging what they do and, and moaning about it. Sure. I think that's one thing. Do you feel like you have a lot of kind of control over the whole band from the from the drum chair? Um, yeah, I suppose. I think it's it's give and take a bit. Um, it's it's a difficult. It, it depends on the show, really. I mean, on this show, this is a very sort of traditional. Um, traditional show, you know, it's like uh, 
you know showy music as it mm. were you know traditional show two and, and a bit of swing and a bit of big band and a bit of um, well swing is big band isn't it but anyway, you know what I mean but and, and, and that kind of thing and, and it's sort of uh, it's MD led it's sort of conducted and, and the, the MD is trying to sort out you know, you know um, um, sync up about 30 people all dancing in spangly outfits with flower pots on their heads and, and, and uh, horrific high heels and the, you know and if the tempos are wrong they start falling over and breaking their ankles and, and what have you yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you you know you've got to be um, uh, adaptable enough to, to say well okay look I know that this is this is the tempo uh, but he seems to want it to get it, it to get to get faster here mm. for whatever reason I'm, I'm not going to just completely ignore that and just it, it, you have to be uh, a bit a bit flexible to sort of um, to go with his uh, um, I don't know his sort of direction mm. uh, but at the same time in, in other times you have to ignore it and, and, and play time you know and you sort of like you get to know when to do right so you know what, so if you see what I mean when so you get what, to know the show you know where to do I suppose I think it's just a general thing in, in, in you know even on a freelance date where you turn up and have music in front of you and a conductor um like if I go and do an orchestral thing or, or whatever, mm. you know, you you get to learn. You, you sort of a, I know it's not really a sixth sense, but you get to learn through um, uh, experience when to follow and when not to follow. Right. And it's usually obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I think to your original question was like, you know, about the, you know, why why is the drums and, and important to them? I think it, it's it's because. Because in order for them to do their job properly, they need you on their side, basically. Mm. So they want to book someone they're comfortable with. Yeah. And then, if your MD's sort of any good, or, or at least nice, uh, they're going to ask you who you want to play bass, because they want you to be comfortable, because you don't want to be fighting the bass player. Mm. But they're not generally going to say, oh, who do you want in the rest of the band? <laughs> they yeah. might say, oh, who do you think would be good on mm. guitar or something? But they're probably, they, they could well ignore you, you know. Yeah. It's, so the rhythm section as a unit and the MD, they're kind of all. Yeah. It's kind of they're, they're deliberately put together. I think I think it depends on the MD and it depends on on uh, you know on the gig and, and the, the the setup you know the, of the orchestra and whatever. But I, yeah, I think so. Mm. I mean, on this show, uh, Alan the MD, he basically picks everybody specifically. He doesn't let the fixer right. do any of it. He'll he'll have a say in who's on every chair. Okay. Because he likes to know who's doing what, and he likes yeah. to know them. Well, and that's fair enough. But I, on some other shows I've done, they've been less picky, and, and but they've they've still gone really. I think they've still chosen the rhythm section, and, and then they've been up for you know suggestions for the rest of them. Mm. Yeah. Maybe. Um, more and more, I think people know who they want. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, like you were saying before about your relationship with the MD. Mm. Um, like in your experience, how much of it? in terms of like the musical relationship and then also like the social relationship yeah like how much do you think either of them uh, are important uh, well, to, to be honest other? I don't I, I don't really see the MD out of the, out of the theatre out of the pit mm. not really right I mean I mean we get on fine but it, I don't that's you know, what I mean like busy you, you and do I'm talk to each other like, yeah well, we talk to, to each other I mean on. we talk most of our conversations are through this glass <laughs> uh, um, I mean you know, we've. I'm not trying to say you know, I don't know the guy or anything, like, but we don't. It, it's not. 
you know, we don't hang out mm. socially particularly, no. But like you were saying and, before, and like... I, that doesn't generally happen on, on shows, mm. I've, I've found. He, you, he wants shows. to know that you're on his side, though, like, you know... Well, he just wants to... I think he just wants to look... Uh, look over and, and see that you're... A, watching him. B, that you're... It doesn't want you to be fighting mm. him. Uh, and and that, that, at the same time, you're going to sort of... Uh, you know, have your you, you, you've got to give you've got to give uh, the conductor something to work with in the first place. You know, in terms of time, and you've got to have enough um, confidence and authority to, to say, right, this is where I think it is. Yeah. Uh, and and then, if you want to move it, that's fine. But otherwise, they've got nothing. If you're just you know slavishly following every single beat, then you're you're going to end up. It's going to speed up and slow down, and, and it's going to be horrendous. And the MD's going to be looking at you, going, oh, "You know, I don't know how to fix this." And <laughs> you know, it doesn't really work like that. You, you, you have to, you have to, you, you know, you, you need to lay it down a little bit for them. Right. And then, if they want to try and move it, that's fine. Rather than, I think they they want you to sort of provide a certain foundation to it on your own without being spoon-fed every single. And then know when to. Like yeah, and then yeah, exactly, and then no, if they want to adjust it, then you go, and you're sensitive enough to, to move a little bit, sure, rather than just suddenly jumping, you know, ten BPM because you think oh crisis, you know, you you just sort of edge forwards a little bit if they want to get a little bit quicker, see how that goes. Mm. They might they might relax after that, and it might all be fine. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, it, I don't know. It's it's, it's I, I've never really tried to intellectualize it too sure. much. Sure, it's just from experience of yeah. doing it. It's just yeah, really instinctively what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. I, I mean, there's a certain amount of of just playing what I think's right, mm. and there's a certain amount of following, and, and it's sort of yeah. I think there's a bit of it's it's a sort of it's a it's a delicate art <laughs> in a way. Yeah. You know. I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to make it to be uh, to be something it isn't, but it, it, it it's just one of those things. You do enough of it, and you get used to it. Really. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So talking about following conductors, like you're saying, you did, you've done, and you still do a fair bit of orchestral work. Yeah, I do some. With certain yeah. things, like um, like I guess some people may not think that you know drums particularly get involved with orchestral stuff very much. Yeah. But, I mean, how did yeah. you how did you first get into into that kind of environment? Um. Honestly, I can't remember. Probably through a sh doing a show. It could well have been through doing a show. I think. I can't. I, I really can't remember. I. Th I mean, the, f the first. I think the first like big orchestra I, I did anything with was the BBC concert orchestra, mm. and 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 I still do things for them periodically. Uh, I've got something next week actually, and and. Um, I think it was through doing. I think we did Shrek. And they did a Friday night is music night, you know, on those Radio Two right. programs. Um, and uh, they did they had like a Shrek evening, I think, or they had some a few tunes from Shrek. Anyway, we went yeah. we, we were booked to do it, and we went in and um, and the conductor really just came up to me. And, you know, it was very good of him actually. He just came up and said, "Look, you know, you know these tunes better than me. I'm just going to go with you." Right. So that was kind of a good introduction to it because it, it was like. You know, I didn't really have to follow him. He was just going along with me. But it, it's it's a it's I think you know it's one of the most frightening things I think playing drums or a rhythm section with a with a symphony orchestra is quite scary. I, I find it scary, I, and I know a lot of you know 
quite hard, hardened, cynical pros who find it scary. Yeah. Um, because it's almost sometimes like the the conductor will play a downbeat, then there'll be a you know ten second delay, and then someone will play something. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you've already played the first bar on your own. You know, so it's it, it you you it's it's a different it's a very different thing to this to the, to yeah. the show. You know, in a show, it's much more immediate. You know, a conductor puts a uh, conductor downbeat and and the band plays. Whereas in orchestra, it's a very different mm. thing. As a you know, it's much more of a. Is that the main difference you found com- compared well, to the two worlds? It's really, but well, no. But also, that depending on the orchestra, quite often the orchestra will stick with the conductor, right. and they won't follow you. So if you're trying to play what you think is metronomic time mm. you're going to eventually you know veer away from each other dramatically and and, and uh, you'd think that they because you're the sort of rhythm section they keep going with you but it doesn't always happen like that so right. you have to you have to follow a bit more than maybe you would sure so just kind of be a bit show. more aware of yeah and, and also I mean what I try and do is I just try and listen really hard to the rest of the orchestra and, and sort of mould what I'm doing so that it fits mm. rather than be too rigid about what I'm going to you know the, the time so I'll move around a little bit just so that it all sort of sits yeah. or try you try and make it sit it depends on the gig it depends on the music sure but it is it's a real I don't know I find it quite scary I find it it's like back being at sort of uh, you know the youth orchestra at, at <laughs> <laughs> Where everyone sort of turns around and looks at you, and you've got something wrong, and <laughs> I, I, you feel very, very small. I don't know. It's um, I, I quite like doing it. Once you've done it, you do, you do a gig and you feel quite good about yourself if you get through it unscathed, <laughs> you know. But it's yeah, they're quite terrifying. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, I, it's, it is a different, it's a different skill, I think, or it's a different mentality. Mm. It's much less right here. It is have a load of this. You have to try and fit in with them much more. Yeah, because it's such a big band. Absolutely. So, do you feel yeah. like all of the orchestral stuff you did when you were younger helped you when you got to that later on, or was it completely um, different by the time you got to that? Uh, on that level, no, not really. On that level, it's so different. Right. You know, like a professional orchestra like that. Mm. No. <laughs> not, <laughs> fair, not fair enough. Not enough. <laughs> no, I mean, it must have helped a bit, but it, not really. No, I, I, it just made me. I mean. Um, do you feel like you were more aware of it? Like you, it wasn't the first, like it wasn't the first time that you'd ever been no, in an orchestra. No, that's right. No, I suppose not. So I mean, I was up to a point. I knew, but it did. Ma- it really did make me feel like I was a little kid at school, you know, right. with, with with the big boys, you know, and, and, and girls, and, and and sitting there with, you know, loads of scary violinists and <laughs> uh, um, brass players, and and they're so used to playing together that they. They, they sound so sort of, uh, it's a, such a big sound and, and such a sort of usually, you know, a unified block of sound that if you're not with them, it's really obvious, you know, and, yeah. and it's not it, it's not easy to, to, to fit in with that always. Yeah, so I mean, they play um, together all the time and then you guys yeah. just kind of come in separately yeah. and have to slot with them. Yeah, I think that's how I look at it. Yeah. And then not, not be too loud, which of course is impossible. Right, right. <laughs> Is that a massive? Is that a massive challenge as a drummer? You find? Well, what, I tell you, what is a challenge is usually that they'll see drums and they'll come in with plexiglass and put screens around you, right? And not give you any sort of monitoring because it might well be an acoustic thing. Sure. Uh, so then you just can't hear anything except yourself. 
Right, so and that's you're, another and you're challenge. Too loud and yeah, yeah, uh, it, it is a challenge. I think that I, I've tended to. I just use smaller. I discovered use smaller sticks and 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 lighter cymbals and right. smaller drums and, and and I just sort of I, I got into a, a a different mindset because I was very much of a sort of more of a rock. I had more of a rock approach to stuff. I think generally before going into those sort of orchestral things. Mm. Um, and quite often you'll be booked on an orchestral thing, and it'll be like a film soundtrack or it'll be a um, whatever where where you are playing sort of rock music right. you know or, or pop music or whatever but you have to just do it at a very low volume and so you have to create some kind of intensity at, uh, and and a feeling of it not being really quiet yeah uh, but at the same time not being you know not drowning everything out so mm. it, it's a yeah it can, it, as I say it's a scary thing it can be yeah I've heard a lot of other drummers say things like, like playing with an orchestra playing quietly with intensity yeah. I mean from my own experience as well like it is very kind of a very hard skill and yeah. one that people don't I'd imagine people don't often practice or need until they are thrown into a situation like that yeah beforehand yeah, yeah I think so I think so it's a very steep learning curve mm. definitely um, I think the intensity thing is, is I think it's a, one of the best well things I can think of is, is it's generally it's all about note placement and, and where you where you play and, and intent behind what you're playing um, rather than necessarily volume so you have you have to you have to maintain some kind of um, uh, drive without being loud mm. and, and and I find that can come from just by really concentrating hard on where you place the notes so that it's very you're very accurate, and, and, and everything is has a has a, a an intent behind it. And if you hear someone like Steve Gadd, for instance, obvious uh, example, he, he, you can sort of hear that he places everything he plays. He's, he's, everything's very deliberately placed, placed, um, and and even at a low volume, that creates a, a, a um, you know like a, a tension, or not, well not not a tension, but like you know a, a intensity. Mm. Um, that, that you don't necessarily need volume for, and, and I think that's kind of the, that's what's going on in my head anyway when I'm trying to right. trying to trying to you know uh, not blast everyone's head off, but still try and make it sound like it's big. And you can and also how you hit the drums and allow the drums to breathe and, and that kind of thing and the cymbals, um, rather than you know playing into them. I kind of try and play out of everything. And let everything have a, a full sound, even though it's maybe right. not so loud. So it's almost like so kind of a, a mental switch in your head. Yeah. For the different gig. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, a bit. I mean, I try to do that anyway. I, I try. I don't really bash drums much. I try not to anyway. And I try and, um, you know, coax stuff out of them rather than right. slap them. If you know. Sure. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Because there yeah. are people who just will go, blah, you know, and and, and yeah. bury the. Or I mean, when you're, in a, when you're in a glass container like this, yeah. like yeah. I'm sure you can play at whatever volume you want yeah, within you can reason. Up to a point. Yeah, I mean, I try on this gear. I try not to do that because it's it is sort of an acousticy vibe. Mm. I try and keep it quite light. So you kind of just play, kind of try and play naturally, like. Yeah, I play as if I would, well, I, I play sort of a louder version of, of if it were all in the same room. Right. I mean, I can afford to play up a little bit because of all the plexi glass. Sure. 
but uh, which makes it slightly more comfortable. Mm. But to be honest, I, no, I don't. I try not to because there's all these percussion instruments and whatever. I try and keep everything to the same sort of dynamic, so it's not like roaringly loud on the drums, and then suddenly you get to the percussion and it's inaudible. Right. I try and keep everything relatively. I probably hit the percussion too hard mm -hmm. and, and bring the drums down a bit, and, and we meet in the middle somewhere. Sure. You know. And that's that's but your decision. That's not that's my like decision. Somebody's really. ever talked to you about the volume of? No, I just thought it seemed like the thing. Yeah. You know, on this gig, uh, I mean, on, when I did the Book of Mormon before this, it was much louder, and I was hitting the drums a lot harder, and I was mm. using much bigger sticks. I still don't. I, mean, I still don't really. I don't hit as hard as a lot of guys, you know. But I, but I can get a, quite a big sound without hitting too hard. At all. At least mm. I think I can. That's, mm. that's what I try to do. Sure. So I think of more of, of um, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of somebody. I don't know, if you see someone like Keith Carlock, for instance, he doesn't hit that hard necessarily, but he's, he, there's a lot of rebound going on and a lot of Your sound, life. a lot yeah. of life coming out of it without actually really mm. hammering into the drums Absolutely. so much. It's so interesting it's just, you yeah, say about the sticks when you, like, you change it. I, yeah. I think a lot of people kind of they go through periods but within those periods they're like these are my sticks and use these sticks and everything yeah kind of thing yeah so it's really interesting that you say like you you adapt to that level when you do your gigs as well yeah well i, I mean think uh, that's what made me think of the keith Carter things i've got some of his sticks <laughs> because because they're um they've got very small tips on them and they're really good for uh something like an orchestral gig where you know you don't want to blast everyone they're really because the ride symbol it brings the right volume of the ride symbol down a lot mm. and it, it, it it's still quite a nice you get a nice sound out of everything um and and yeah I, you can sort of still play comfortably but it, it, it sort of naturally brings the volume down of, of, of stuff rather than playing with like a i don't know a 5b or something which yeah, is yeah. too big for me anyway but but yeah there are people who would go into that mm. and go well these are my sticks and i'm going to use them Right. I, and I would just think, well, you, you're kind of handicapping yourself doing that up to a point. Sure. Because you're going to have to play so down that half your technique's going out the window. Right. And the other half has gone, gone out the window already because you're, you know, crapping yourself in, in the first place. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I just try and make it as easy for myself as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know that there's going to be pressure from other areas. And, and yeah. I, you know, so I, the gear thing I do spend a lot of time thinking about. and. and uh, in different situations, and, and I didn't used to, but I, I certainly would take a couple of ride cymbals, maybe, and a, and a couple of pairs of hats, and, and maybe the crashes would be fairly all-purpose. But I would, sure. you know, and two snare drums in case it's one thing or another, and yeah, yeah, and, and a fairly all-purpose kit. I, I've been, I've been using the um, Sakai Trilogy drums a lot. Um, mm. Especially, for, and they're, well, for everything, but they're they're very good for that orchestral thing because they're not loud. Right. You know, they they sound really nice and warm and fat, but they're not loud. So you, you kind of have that. It's the so same thing again. Like you, can play. you can still feel like you can play without, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. overpowering everyone. Sure. I know we talked about a lot about this, and I get sidetracked easily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> being, being so what's well, so anyway? So yeah, um, but it's important because I feel like other other instruments maybe don't. So I mean, I, I could be completely wrong. But yeah. Other instruments like you know an electric guitar, or whatever, they don't necessarily have to worry too much about how they play because they can just turn a knob down. Almost. Yeah, I'm sure there is an element of it. Yeah, um, but drums are always a key stick, aren't they? I mean, yeah, yeah. Talking about the gear thing, there was something I wanted to ask you about because I saw there's, there was a quote online somewhere I read um, recently that you did an interview 
a while back and you said mm. something about thinking that um, brands you're talking about the, the sake drums yeah you're talking about saying brands should be more involved for like in the longevity of someone's career is that is that right is it, am I saying that, I right? that I'm not sure because uh, uh, well, I know that you're now involved with certain brands and well like, I, how, do I you mean, think I, that's important for people these days to be involved with stuff like that um I think it's. I mean, for for me, it's it's been. I, it, it's. I, I buy a lot of gear because of um, certain situations, musical situations will come up, and I'll think, well, I, you know, I've got to a point now where I want the sounds to be right. Mm. So I'll, I'll maybe, you know, if I get a, uh, a certain gig, I'll think I need a, this snare drum or I need this setup or whatever it is or this symbol. It, you know, it's not always possible to to go out and spend 600 pounds on a pair of hi-hats just for one gig that's worth 300 quid yeah sure. you know so it, it's helpful for me it's been very helpful to have kind of a uh, relationships with certain companies I mean mainly Sabian and Sakai um, and Vic Firth um, uh, because of that really mm. um, and, and I don't know I mean I'm not sure it's essential to I think people fixate on deals yeah, and I I've been guilty of it myself. Um, well, I, I, I haven't had a lot of deals. I, I haven't really gone after them. I, um, I think the trouble is you've got to really like the gear. And what I've done in the past um, has been I have gone uh, along occasionally with with a company because it's been sort of because the people have been very nice and it's been convenient, and the gear wasn't really suitable for what I do. And it wasn't that it was bad gear; it just didn't work out for me very well mm. um, and so I sort of learned a bit from that and I I, I I felt a bit bad about that whole situation really but um, I find with the Sakai stuff I actually I really like the gear and I already had some gear with before uh, so I, I went I went to them and just said you know is there any chance of you know doing something and, and, and they were they were quite quite up for that and they've been really good um, but I don't think it's essential. No, I don't. I don't think it's essential. I think in some ways you are limiting yourself if you, if it's something you don't like. You know, if it's something yeah. you're just getting because it's cheap or it's free, then I think it's, it's, there's mm. no point. Yeah. But if if you know if you like the gear, then yeah, it's great. I I, I don't think you know endorsements and all that. I, I think they're. I mean, I, I I remember reading a thing from um, a guy called Joe Tester, who's a, a Vic Firth. He's the, the sort of the main guy at Vic Firth, really, um, as far as artist relations in, in the states. Right. And he said, uh, you know, really, if you know, people need to be coming to you, really, to, to ask you if if you want a, mm. a deal, and, and if you're sort of going up to them, going, oh, can I have some stuff? You know, maybe you should consider whether you you, you deserve it. Yeah, yeah. In a way, and it's a two-way relationship, isn't it? I think I think probably what I may have said in the interview was I, I do think that certain drum companies um, I, I'm not I'm not thinking of anyone specific but I'm just saying you know generally speaking I think companies and I can understand why but they don't they they look at say this stuff that, like the show aspect of things and they don't really um, they don't really understand what it involves they don't they don't really know anything about it. Mm. Really, and there's a—it's it, one of the biggest um, uh, sources of, 
income or, or you know, employment for freelance musicians. I think there is really. There's the pop scene, which I know very little about. To be honest, I've got some friends who do a lot of that stuff, but I don't do much of it. Right. The odd thing, um, and there's there's that, and, and there's this, and there's the sort of the session scene, such, such as it is, which is you know certainly there's hardly anything left of it. Most of the studios have closed down. Yeah. And a lot of the session guys will also do a show um, these days. Um, so, I mean, but the, I think the companies don't really, I don't know, it seems to me like unless, unless it's sort of, you know, you're doing drum clinics or you're doing tours on a stage with, you know, TV coverage and uh, thousands of people in the audience, Mm. They're not that interested, and and I and I can understand that. But I th I also think there are a lot of people coming out of college, who actually want to do this kind of thing. I think there's a huge uh, amount of people who would be interested. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in it. Well, I'm not. I mean, that's not trying to make it something it isn't. But I'm just saying that's. I think that's a, a fact. I, that I think a lot of the companies maybe miss that. So you think maybe. So you can go to companies and they'll sort of go, well, "What are you doing?" And and, and you'll say, and they'll say. You know what are you doing? You, you explain what, they're, and they don't really—they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Because it's not on stage, yeah. you feel like. Well, because it's not—it's not high profile, I guess, in some respects, because you're, you know, by the nature of it, you're in a pit, and there's, you know, about ten people can see you. You know, those ten <laughs> on the front <laughs> can see you. Um, I just think it's, uh, yeah, I think that for them, it's the exposure isn't, isn't necessarily mm. yeah. there. You know, and and, it, and they don't really want to have to make the effort to right. to do it. Some I think some companies are more are more uh, accepting accepting of it or whatever than others. I mean, and and Sabian have been brilliant. I have to say, Sabian have been really good. Right. Um, uh, and I mean, yeah, I, it just depends. I think on, the, on it depends on the show a little bit as well. But yeah. anyway, but I, I just think it's. It's an area where they they don't seem to show any interest, and, sure. and I understand why that is. But I think there's more interest than they think. I think maybe that's probably what yeah. I was getting at. I mm. don't know. In my <laughs> previous confused interview, I don't yeah. know. well, maybe maybe um, it will change as it as it grows because it does seem to just continually be growing, like the profile of being. Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of musician in the West End. Yeah, there's, uh, there seems to be the, the shows themselves are selling very well. They still, you know, mm. seem to be like record sales every. Yeah. Every uh, every year they seem to get higher. Um, I mean, I'm starting. I'm leaving this show in uh, about five weeks, I think, and, and, and doing Hamilton, which is the new show that's coming on in Victoria. Mm. And that's, I mean, it, you know, it's opening in. Well, now it's December. The opening, I think, and, and it's sold out till. Well, the first booking period is completely sold out. You know, till really? June. Wow. Um, and this is as well. This is. I think the advance on this show is. Um, Aladdin it, it is, is um, I think it's higher now than it was when it opened so Jeez. which is unusual yeah. so uh, you know they're, they're, they're doing well mm. uh, and it, uh, it's I, I quite like it you know I don't, I don't I don't try and sort of pretend it's something it isn't but it I don't mind it you know there's a, a nice generally a nice group of people and mm. it's kind of quite a small community really in, in the center of London it's kind of weird it's like a little village almost <laughs> You know, you bump into people all the time, and yeah. it's kind of a weird thing in in central in such a big city. You can walk around and, and be like, "Oh, hi. <laughs> and and I don't know. I quite like that whole sort of thing where everyone knows everyone. And, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and it, I, I don't know. It, it's it's something I sort of fell into really, and I didn't set out to do it, but I'm I'm quite happy to do it, you know. And, mm. and I feel quite really lucky that I've done, you know, I've done as many shows as I have in in a row, really, without sure, without having to sort of. Uh, I mean, I did I debt for years, but and, and this, for the last sort of I don't know 13 years or so, I've. I've had a show which has been quite nice. Amazing. Really. Uh, yeah, but it's sort of luck, partly luck and partly, you know, obviously you've got to do a reasonable job. But it oh, is so partly, yeah, it is partly luck. Why. But things follow on from in funny kind of ways and, mm. you know, you just, I think you have to make the, maybe the right decision here and there whether to move move on from a show or, or to, to stay. And sometimes it's very easy to stay in one place and because there's a safe gig there and the like with it? like with um, well when I was doing Dirty Dancing that was at the time I left it was running and it was you know they were talking about it going on for 10 years and I just right. thought I don't want to do 10 years of this. <laughs> I don't want to do 10 years of this uh, I mean I was going mad after four and, and I, I've never done a show that long anymore since then but so now you've first so did for a little while and well no I mean I did I did Mormon for three right. uh, and Still that was fine and time, I wasn't yeah. it was quite a long time and I, I wasn't you know I, I just thought at that point, I would have happily done it for longer, but at, this, at the same time, I thought if I stay there, I'm never going to leave. Right. Uh, and this came up, and, and I thought this was a, a you know, a show that was going to sell. Mm. Um, so I thought, well, if if I'm if I'm not going to leave for this, then I'm never going to leave, and I'm going to be there for years, and I don't want that, so I'm going to move. Right. And it was a bit of a decision at the time, because it's so so different, dramatically different musically, and it's quite, you know polite and um, uh, a lot much lower dynamic level and it's much less of a huge drum chair and like Mormon is, is bonkers really it's all you know octopads and loops and and you're really hammering the, the crap out of the drums um, mm. especially in the second half and, and to go from that to this was very it was quite a culture shock but I'm really glad I did it and, it, and it's been nice um, but it's again it's just the I think the thing with Hamilton, I just quite fancied doing it. Really, it was just I'd heard the music from it, and yeah. uh, my daughter's really into it. Um, it's massive in the states, and it's massive. It is. I mean, it's yeah. a big show. It's yeah, it is big, mm. um, and and it's fun. It's it's quite fun drumming. You know, and right. it's the sort of thing I'd actually. It's more like more my thing, really. I think than than um, you know than than the swing stuff. I, I I'm I'm quite happy to do the both. Mm. But it's more my thing, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Um, but you know, I think with a lot of these shows, you have to, you know, there's quite a lot of different musical styles yeah. within each show, and so that's kind of part of it is, is being reasonably convincing on on all of being them. Being able to turn your hand. To yeah. Where yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Sure. But, all right. Mm. Well, well, going back to gear to finish off. Mm. Like you you said so you use Sabian cymbals and. Uh, the Sakai drums. Yeah. What other what other gear? I mean, would you recommend to other people? Or do you use as a standard setup? I mean, I'm sure it, I know it varies on. What, what in terms of actual gear. just drums? Yeah, just any gear you use that you recommend and you always turn to when you need it. Um. Well. Um. The Ludwig 400, I suppose, would be one. Right. Snare drum. Um. I I, I find that's a really good starting point for pretty much anything mm. uh, and you can you can make that sound 
pretty much how you like. I think they're good. Um, I mean, I, I tend to go with quite, like say with hi-hats for instance, I try to go on the darker side and on the thinner side, and the same with crashes and rides really, I suppose. Um, but especially hats and, and, and rides, because it's less overpowering. I try to blend in musically rather than cut through, you know. See a lot of adverts, you know, these symbols like really cut through the band, and I'm thinking I don't want them in that case because no. that's not really what I want. I want to sort of it to blend and it to sound like a to sound like music rather than you know a, a drummer doing a solo in the background or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and so I would go. I, I like the Sabian Legacy stuff, especially the hi hats. Um, I'm trying to think what I use with the ride. The rides I like the artisan rides especially the light 22 light ride is very nice not always loud enough for everything but but very nice right um and i also if i then get louder i tend to go to like the hhx stuff which is like evolutions and i like the extreme crashes mm. which are quite thin as well they're like the, the ones david garibaldi uses in there yeah they're quite dark um so i kind of go towards that the hhx line of saving stuff and with Sakai, I just use the trilogies really for everything, I, and I, I, I like them. Right. And I find they work for everything I do, really, mm. give or take. Um, I think I've, I have more or less used them entirely. Sure. Uh, for and and, and it, you know, if it's loud, then I can just mic them up, and, and they sound good anyway. You know, they still yeah. have enough punch to them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm much less into gear, uh, actual gear, than than I was. Right. You know, I spent. I bought and sold. I, I dread to think how many drum kits I've bought and sold. <laughs> sure. But I, I sort of have, a, I guess, a default of yeah. I, I tend to just use the Sacco trilogy and the and the Sabian, you know, probably Legacies mm. mostly. And like you say, you sometimes change the sticks around. I mean, is there any? I any sometimes change the sticks. I, I mainly I'll go. I'll start off with the Victor Keith Carlock sticks, and then if I don't know if I go to get any. Bigger than that, I probably would go to maybe. Uh, I probably would go to the maybe the, the I like the the Weckl evolutions, right? Yeah, like yeah, those. yeah. Uh, something like that. I've, I've been mucking around with these just actually just because I just thought it'd be fun. But these are the uh, the Quest Love right. <laughs> signature sticks. They're hilarious. I mean, they're about an inch longer than any other stick you can buy, <laughs> and they're really really thin. So it's a really peculiar. Vibe really, but I just I just tried them for a laugh. Yeah. Um, I, I, I probably won't be buying a whole stack of those. But um, uh, yeah, so I mean, apart from that, I I don't know. I, no, no, nothing. Mm. Especially the DW9000 bass drum pedal, which I don't have here, but I do normally. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, apart from that, a decent stall. Yeah. Rock and sock, always good. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and. Uh, I mean, I, I try and use in-ears if I can. That's the other thing, I suppose. Um, I, I'm kind of just got into them, really. I, I know it sounds weird, but I mean, I've used generic ones, and I've just got these uh, ultimate ears, right. and they're really nice. They're just quite relatively low spec, but they make a big difference, and it, and it really saves your hearing, mm. uh, because I'm quite paranoid about that as well. Mm. Yeah, um, well, it's a big thing, big thing for drummers, isn't it? Yeah, I think people. Sure you take care of yeah, it. you have to be careful, and it's very easy for that to creep up. I mean, in my twenties, I did a lot of gigs, blues, 
festivals and stuff like that, no hear, no hearing protection at all. And, and there was a guy with a Fender Twin right on the front of the drum riser, cranked up pretty much everything to 11. Mm. And uh, you know, I ended up with tinnitus quite badly at the time. Really? Well, yeah, it wasn't permanent, but I was certainly, and, and I can't really stand too much noise on my right ear anymore. So I have to have earplugs. Mm. So you have to be careful with that. But, um, yeah, so I mean, Word of warning. yeah. Yeah, out of interest, how often do you get get through like a new pair of sticks on a sh- when you're on a show consistently? Uh, it depends. On this gig, not very often at all. I mean, I, I tend to throw them away before they break right. on this because I'm not playing very hard. Um, and also because I don't really dig into anything. You know. Um, so how often do you so on, on, feel like On this, I would probably, I don't know, I would change them every maybe... I don't know, two or three weeks maybe. Right. It's not not much. I mean on Mormon I was probably going through them every maybe, I don't know, every two or three days. Right, maybe, really? Well maybe oh. maybe one but maybe I go a week without breaking anything and then the next week I break two sticks or something and mm. maybe three. But I don't I don't like shred sticks really. Yeah. I don't I don't tend to shred them. Just how it is. I mean I I don't as I say I don't really hit massively hard but also I don't bury the sticks into everything. So generally they don't sure. break, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of yeah, but um, yeah, I, I think I mean so, so when I was doing Shrek, weirdly, that was one of the loudest gigs. I don't know why, but it was quite rocky, and there was I was using huge sticks on that, and they were getting fairly mashed, and I was getting yeah. through quite a lot of them. Yeah. But but as a rule, I don't. Yeah. You know, no, it's just interesting. I was just yeah. interested. Yeah. And um, do you have any? Uh, it's quite a tough question, really. But like, do you have yeah. any recommended listening? Like anything that you? Favourites um, that you always go back to at all? Yeah, I suppose I do. I, um, Steely Dan springs to mind. Any particular album? Um, not really, all of them. Yeah. Uh, Royal Scam is a good album. Uh, Asia, obviously. Gaucho. Jeff Caro. Those three probably I listen to more than any of the others. Right. Um, um, all the police records, I would, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Oh, let me think. I don't know. I, I was as a kid. I was really into Phil Collins and Genesis and all that kind of thing. And, yeah. I, and I and I still think Phil Collins is very much maligned, considering it, you know he was a he was a great drummer. Um, you know, in the in the days where he was, you know, his solo albums and whatever, and Genesis. Mm. I thought it was great. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, it is a tricky question. There's loads of it, really. I mean. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much, I, I what I used to do was uh, as a kid was I, I'd say someone would say, oh, you know, you need to listen to Steve Gadd, and I'd be like, okay, so I'd go and buy a load of Steve Gadd records, or you know, so I'd buy maybe Al Jarreau yeah, or something like that, um, and yeah, and, and the same with Jeff Beccaro, I, I was very into that, Omar Hakim, mm. Cache, yeah, Steve yeah. Jordan, da da da, but yeah, I just find out, you know, go on uh, Wikipedia or whatever it is, Discogs. <laughs> And, and and see what they've done, and, and just, just go and buy the stuff I like the sound of, really, I suppose. Yeah. Than, yeah. And I bought some terrible albums as a, as a consequence of that, actually, because <laughs> there were certain albums, and, and I, oh, this is going to be great, and, and it would be whoever it was on it, and, and it would be the most awful, you know, yeah. uh, lift music or, or whatever. <laughs> but it, 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 you know, I think you know, especially these. That's the benefit of streaming, I guess, these days, is that you can you can pick and choose a bit, can't you? But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say 
I'd say you know f find some people who you think that are, are great drummers or who you would are a similar play a similar style of music to what you want to get into or, or whatever um, I mean it's all the old you know the older sort of jazz guys um, I, I was never really into you know the the um, the, I, I don't know the real sort of bebop guys. I never got into all that, really, but, mm. but certainly, you know, the basic. Uh, I don't know Buddy Rich and um, uh, Joe Jones and uh, Mel Lewis and all those kind of people who the, the sort of people who would just like swing a big band or, or you know people who really I could take stuff from and 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 think okay, well that's a, that's good. Uh, it's good information. And it's also good. I, I, what I try and do is a lot is, is try and imagine how they're thinking a bit. Try and get into that same headspace of, or see how they're approaching something musically. And you can use that. Um, it's hard to explain, really. But with like, so if I listen to someone like Buddy Rich, the thing that I, I get from Buddy Rich, for instance, is not particularly that he's amazing technically, mm -hmm. but that he can really kick the ass out of a big band. Uh, and, and so you kind of try and listen to that approach and it's a real kind of quite a relentless approach yeah. but sometimes that you know you can you can sort of emulate that a little bit and, like and you can use that to sort of nicking certain in a, in things a situation. in a situation yeah. Like, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and it works with pretty much everybody if you like that you know if you you know Stanton Moore I like a lot of his stuff he's it's, it's, it's got some good albums mm. solo albums um, yeah uh, and, and all kinds of stuff, Stevie Wonder. Um, yeah. uh, I don't know. When, whenever someone says all this, I, I, I sort of, I go, oh, I don't know. It's like when you've got when you've got the um, the Sonos going on, you know, and you're yeah, yeah you're yeah. Home, What am I going to listen to? There's so much of it. I really like live from Daryl's house. The, the Hall of Notes, you know, uh, Daryl Hall is he's got a, a online uh, uh, like a TV show that he does from his house, and he has guests in and. Right. Uh, originally the drummer was a guy called Sean Pelton and I think now it's Brian Dunn his name is but they have like a band house band and they get all these like uh, singer songwriters in and they, they they all play and they play some of each other's tunes and, yeah. and it's really nice it's really it, it's really good uh, so I'm kind of into the, quite into that and then they then they do some cooking and <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's pretty random but it's good it's a good it's a good uh, it's a good show and uh yeah, and James Taylor, I like James Taylor. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's a great uh, uh, thing of live at the Beacon Theatre with Steve Jordan. That's a that's a classic. Oh, I don't know that. Um, that's a, that's a, there's a DVD of it, and it's really that's really nice. And it, and there's all the stuff with Carlos Vega on, who was mm. who was a great drummer. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's loads of it. It's endless, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I ramble on. I probably have rambled on quite a long time already. <laughs> really. But yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank <laughs> I you. I appreciate you taking the amount of time that you have. Yeah, out. no, you're very welcome. I, yeah, I hope I haven't rambled on too much. But. No, absolutely. <laughs> it's, all been, it's all been really interesting. Thank you for listening to the Tom Hart Podcast. I appreciate you spending the time listening. I hope you enjoyed this talk with Tim. You can find Tim on Twitter at Timbo Goodyear, T-I-M-B-O-G-O-O-D-Y-E-R, Instagram, at Tim Goodyear Drums. 
if you want to check out the show notes then you can head over to tomhutchmusic.com forward slash podcast and find it all there and if you like this episode please give it a share with somebody who you think would enjoy it as well if you want to get in touch with me personally then you can contact me via email at tlhutchmusic at gmail.com or on social media at tlhutchmusic thank you for listening and hope to see you in the next one